in the fourth week of this series for blank. And the, really the context of this series and what we really want to convey to you is that we should be people that are for things rather than against things. And we've talked about kind of three different aspects of this. In week one, we said that God is for you, that God loves you and that he cares for you. Whatever you might be walking through in your life, whatever your situation is, God loves you. And then the next week, we said that God is for us. And we really looked at open life is a church and part of the church and how we're all connected with all believers across the global church. If you, if you call Jesus your Savior, if you choose to follow him, then you are really one of my brothers or one of my sisters, no matter if you live here in the U.S. or across the world in a far-off country. And so then last week, we really talked about God is for everyone, that we can't just, we can't just let God's love stop at me, and we can't let it just stop at us as a church, but it needs to go beyond that and go to everyone. And so we're going to be talking about a little bit along those same lines today. And our theme verse has been this. It's Romans 8.31. And Paul is the author and he says this, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? And so this idea that God is for you, God is for us, God is for everyone may not seem too complex. Those are simple statements to say and simple things to believe. But if you don't realize that in your own heart, if you don't realize that as a follower of Jesus, that God is for you, that God is for us, and that God is for everyone, then you really miss the whole point of why God sent Jesus to this earth. And that's because God loves us. And I remember when I was a kid, I was really afraid of the dark. And I slept with a nightlight, so I'm confessing you the things from my childhood. And this was, you know, fine. I had very understanding parents who dealt with my screams or yells, like, because I was just too afraid of the dark. And so, you know, I didn't have any traumatic things in my childhood. I grew up with that. And so it it came to, like, a decision point, though, when I would go home to, well, not home, but went to my grandma and grandpa's house in Montana for months of the summer to hang out with them and give my parents a break. And so I, now I know that's what it was for. I'm like, I think I was having fun, but my parents were getting a break from me. And so, but where I had to sleep at my grandparents' house was basically what I called the dungeon. It's not a real dungeon. It's not like a bad place, but it was at the bottom of their basement, no windows, one single light, and when you shut the door and no lights were on, you're talking about real pitch black darkness. And for me, uh, I'm a like Frady cat, and so I was just like, okay, there has to be a nightlight. There's just, you know, this fear. And so I remember watching this, this show, and uh, one of the characters, it was like a kid's show, like a Christian kid's show, but one of the characters, too, was afraid of the dark. And so the one another person came and said, you know what you should do when you're afraid or you feel fearful, just recite this like prayer, this statement. And it is really this Romans 8.31, but it's just taken in like for me. And it says, if God is for me, who can be against me? So I remember watching this on TV and so they just kept saying, if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? And so really this is supposed to help you not be afraid when we might be in those moments. 
And so I remember saying this to myself when I'd have to go down the stairs into the dungeon and, and go to sleep. And when like my cousins would play dirty tricks and you could actually trap someone in the stairs and turn off the lights and it'd be pitch black and you're trying to walk up the stairs. And so I remember I would literally say in my mind, if God is for me, who can be against me? As I'm terrified running up the stairs as fast as I can. And it's like as if something was right behind me trying to get me. And so... This might seem like really simple as adults now, but I really feel like as we get into adult things and adult issues and adult darkness, even in, as we're teenagers, I'm not saying you have to be an adult to experience this, but when we're in those dark times in our lives, sometimes we just need to know if God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for me, who can be against me? And we deal with issues and we see things. And sometimes we just need to be encouraged and know that if God is for me, who can be against me? But what are the implications when we say that? What are the implications when we say in this series, God is for you, God is for us, and God is for everyone? We can, we can recite that verse or, or say that, that God is for us over and over, but we are only, we only truly know this is if we are in step with Jesus. And that's what we want to talk about in our big idea today, is that we need to keep in step with Jesus. And what does that even mean, keeping in step with Jesus? If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, the question is, am I actually following in the way that Jesus lived his life? Is my life a response to the way that Jesus has shown me grace, mercy, kindness, forgiveness, have I let those things change the way that I live? Simply, am I like Jesus? And so we're going to look at something that Jesus said after he just finished denouncing some cities who he had done some miraculous signs with, but they decided not to repent and turn from their sin and turn to God. And so Jesus reads through this section when you read it. He's denouncing these cities because he did miracles there and they didn't see what he was doing. And so he goes on to this, and this is what he says in Matthew eleven twenty five through 30. He says, At that time, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves, think themselves wise and clever, and for revealing them to the child, childlike. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. And so Jesus was saying the ones who didn't turn to God were wise and clever, but the ones who actually did turn to God... Those are the ones who are like, like children. They're childlike. So he continues on and says, My Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So the only way that we can know God is through Jesus. This is what Jesus is trying to convey to his disciples. And so he goes on and says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So this is one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. In all of the things that Jesus says and does, this for me is one of the most encouraging things to hear because we hear the heart that Jesus has for people, no matter where they're at in life. Are you weary and carrying heavy burdens today? Jesus says, I will give you rest. 
And when we're in those times in our lives where we might feel heavy and we might feel burdened, Jesus is here ready to give us rest. And that is where so many of us want to stop, though. I'm weary, I'm burdened, give me rest. But we don't want to read the rest of this passage because it actually involves some action. And so Jesus, he doesn't stop there. And even when you'd like him to, just, you know, just stop with the rest. I really want that part. He goes on and says, take my yoke upon you. And so on the screen, we actually have a picture of a yoke. Um, and I'm not a farmer, and I don't know how all these things work, but I've pretty simple research found out that the yoke is the wooden thing that goes on top of the oxen's necks. And really what the intention of this is to bring them together to really harness their power and get them to move in the same direction and to use their power to move forward. And so sometimes they're pulling things, sometimes they're helping to farm across a, a garden. And this is how Jesus spoke in terms that people would understand. And so when we're talking about the yoke, think about a yoke is that when you take it upon yourself, you are entering into a partnership with the person, or in this case, the cow that you're next to. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. And so thought one is that Jesus has called us to himself. Is that when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, it's an invitation for us to walk in step with Jesus. That he wants to work with us. It's a calling to action to actually work with Jesus where he's going. And so during this time, the Jews would often refer to the yoke as taking on the law and the rules and regulations of what they've been taught from generation to generation. They would take on the yoke of the law. And so that's a very heavy yoke especially when you pass it on from person to person. And some people think, hey, I need to do a little bit extra just to be safe according to the law. That becomes burdensome. It becomes heavy. And so Jesus even says as much later on in Matthew, he says that the religious leaders of the law, the Pharisees, they crush people with unbearable religious demands. Even when the church is getting started, and we read about in Acts last week, but later on in Acts they have, the, the early church has to figure out, what do we do with non-Jews? They were also called Gentiles. And they'd use the, that same yoke metaphor as the same, th- same way that Jesus did. And they say, these Gentiles don't need to bear the yoke that neither the Jews nor their ancestors were able to bear. Jesus came to earth and said, I'm not going to give you a new set of rules and regulations. I'm going to fulfill those and show you a new law. And that new law is love. Jesus invites us to join him in his yoke. Tethered together because with him in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can walk in step with Jesus. We can love the way that he loved. We get to live the way that Jesus lived because we're yoked with him. Because he's called us to himself. It's only rest and it's only easy because Jesus does the work. Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to do it. He's with us, with his yoke, upon himself. Jesus is carrying the load. And so it's through the work of Jesus and now the Holy Spirit working in us that we can take up this yoke and find rest with him. And that leads us to thought too, is that we can't come to God by exalting ourselves. 
And so this is what faith in Jesus is, is all about. That salvation, our life in Christ, comes not by what we do and the things that we try to attain and the things that we are trying to impress God with. And so sometimes you'll hear people say, you know, I've lived a really good life. Or they say, look at all these things that they've done. Like, look at all these orphans I've fed. I've started a nonprofit. I've done this. And they go on. I've worked hard my whole life, and I've raised really good children. And so if we hold these things as the entrance passes to a relationship with Jesus, that will only lead to a heavy burden when those things fall. Those lead to heavy burdens when one person says, well, that's not good enough. You need to do something more. You need to do something greater in order to find your relationship with Jesus. When in all reality, Jesus is over here, you know, telling the disciples, hey, I'm the standard of life. And so he says, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle at heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. And so it is out of this teaching, out of walking in step with Jesus, that we begin this work. And so when we say, when we usually would say, I've lived a good life, that now becomes, I know I haven't lived a perfect life, but I'm saved by grace. Where we might say that, look at all these orphans I fed, that becomes, I fed all these orphans because the love of Christ has compelled me to love my neighbor, even if they're far off. When I might say, I've worked hard my whole life and I've raised good kids, that becomes, thank you, God, for the things you've given me, for my daily bread, and that I've been able to raise kids that trust in you. And so it switches because the love of God compels us to do these things. And so if God has humbled himself to be yoked with us and called us to himself, we can't come to God by thinking we've accomplished the work to be with him as much as we may think we are the greatest. And so there's this funny story in Mark 9 where Jesus is talking to the disciples and he asks them just this question. And so let's read that together. So he says this, after, or the story is, after they, the disciples and Jesus, arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked his disciples, what were you discussing out on the road? But they didn't answer because they had been arguing about which of them was the greatest. He sat down, called the twelve disciples over to him, and said, Whoever wants to be the first must take the last place and be the servant of everyone else. Then he put a little child among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me welcomes not only me, but also my Father who sent me. And so can you just imagine Jesus walking with the disciples and this is like, hey, what are you guys talking about? Um, we, were, we were fighting about who's the greatest. And you, we laugh and think that's so, like, weird and kind of dumb. But when you look, there's people, we, we often want to be the greatest. This is, like, what social media is all about. It's like we post our best. We post the things that are going to impress people. And really, it's this you know, silent fight about who is the greatest. And so the things the disciples are dealing with are the things that we deal with every single day, where we try and compare ourselves and we try and wonder who is the greatest. And it's what makes it hilarious is Jesus is standing right there. And it's like, Jesus is the greatest. Like, if you had any, like, 
uh, fight about this or argument, you would think someone would say, hey guys, Jesus is right there. I'm pretty sure he's the greatest one of us. But they don't do that. They're fighting amongst themselves. Who is the greatest? And so this is another example of Jesus turning things upside down when it comes to the kingdom of God. He says, if you want to be the greatest, if that's something you really want to do, then you need to serve the least. And he says, all of you need to serve the least. If you think someone's in last place and you think you're in first, then you need to put yourself behind that person and serve them. You need to lift them up. And so Jesus is actually the perfect description and picture of the greatest serving the least because he came to earth of God serving man, of God becoming man to live with them and amongst them and for them. Jesus is the greatest serving the least. So we can't come to God by exalting ourselves. We come to God because he has called us to himself. Jesus uses the children to exemplify service to the least. He's talking about the last. He's talking about the vulnerable, the weakest. Greatness is not about power or position. It's about service and ministry. It's about lifting people up when they're down. It's, it's not about ourselves, but it's how we serve others that is most important. And so in Mark, just into the next chapter 10, there's another story. And you're going to laugh. 10, 14, 10, 13 through 15. And so it, it, the story goes like this. One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me. Don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. So Jesus just got done telling them, it doesn't matter who the greatest is, as long as you serve the one who is least. Here's an example, a child... And then parents, a little later longer, bring their children. And what do the disciples do? Don't bother Jesus with that. And so it's like this crazy thing that happens inside of our hearts where we totally miss the stories and the things that God wants to do. We think we're clever and wise, and we don't see what God is trying to teach us so that we can repent and turn to God. Jesus wants to give us his yoke so that we can serve people, so that we can be in step with him, so that we can move forward. And so thought three today is don't stop people from coming to Jesus. God has chosen and drawn all who freely come to him. And so they might be as insignificant as a child. We're talking about people with no status. We're talking about the humble, the meek, and the mild. It's all who are weary and broken. Jesus wants to give them rest. Rest from the burdens of feeling like they have to attain their salvation. Rest from the real-life burdens that we all deal with, whether it's sickness, whether it's, you know, shame for the things that we've done in our past. Jesus provides rest. He provides peace. And so today, with thought three, we're saying don't be a gatekeeper. If you try and be the person who discerns who can and cannot come to God, your burden will be too heavy to bear. And you're risking burdening the person who Jesus said to serve and to hold up and to be for. Because God is for everyone. 
Jesus has called us to himself, but in our work together, he is calling others to join us. He wants us to live our lives that says, let them come, not don't bother Jesus with that. Jesus wants to be bothered. Jesus wants to provide his peace, his rest, his comfort on people. He wants to put his yoke on others so that he can be in step with them as well. The easy yoke that we carry is for everyone. The rest that we get to enjoy with Jesus is for everyone. And so it comes down to that childlike faith that says, if God is for me, who can be against me? In the dark of our lives, in the brokenness of who we are. And there's a verse in John 8, 12. It says this, Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. When we choose to keep in step with Jesus, when we choose to take on that yoke of service and of that rest, and we learn from the teacher who's humble and gentle at heart so we can find rest for our weary souls, that's when we get to move forward and get to see God do amazing things in our lives. But it does. It has to change our lives. And how does it do that? Well, I hope it leads us to service. I hope it leads us to love everyone. I hope it leads us to hopes and dreams that we could never imagine. I hope it leads us to dream big dreams for the things that we're maybe dealing with in our lives. I hope we dream big dreams for the future of our families, for the future of our careers, that we would say, God, I want to do something more than just earn a paycheck. I want to do something that might actually have a difference in someone's life. When we do that, when we join God in service, he's enabling us with this Holy Spirit to walk forward with him. But we're also called to know how to explain what we're, the way we're living. And in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. The Lord of our life means he, we entrust everything to God. And it, and it says this, And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain the hope that you have in Jesus. Because sometimes I think that we think that the yoke that Jesus offers us is a burden. Well, I have to live differently now. I can't do those things that I used to do. And in some ways, yeah, your life changes. But people are going to begin to notice. If you wear that yoke and you say, you know what? I'm going to love that person who really annoys me. I bet people will notice. I just, I just imagine actually living my life imagining that in every room I walk into, every situation that I'm a part of, on every street that I walk down, imagining if I'm actually, in a sense, yoked to Jesus, as if he's walking right next to me, as if we're walking in step with one another, and how that should change and impact the way that I live my life. Does that change the way that I even interact with a barista? Does it change the way, hopefully, that I interact with my family? Hopefully, it changes the way that we interact with our classmates at school. Hopefully, it changes the way that we live our lives on a daily basis from the moment we get wake up to the minute we put our heads back down to sleep. Imagining that we are yoked, connected to Jesus, empowered for service, and so our action step today is very simple. It's to simply walk with Jesus. Walk into that office this week and serve your coworkers. 
Walk into that classroom and love your fellow student. Walk into your home and love your family like you've never loved your family before. Let the rest from the weariness, let that heavy burden that's being lifted off that we like have to do these things for our salvation, rest in the freedom of knowing that God has done the work, that he's empowered you with the Holy Spirit good works and let that change the way we live our lives let that even just in the simple words that we might say to say I love you to someone in the simple things that we might do that we take for granted even in the way that we pray to God let it change our hearts to say God I come to you in rest versus weariness God, I come to you in my darkness, but I know that if you are for me, who can be against me? And let it take root in our lives. And so God, I just pray right now that you would take burdens away. That if someone came into this place thinking that they had to do something before you would love them, I pray that you would take that thought away from them. Let each and every one of us know that we were loved the minute that we were born, the minute that we walked through these doors here today and going forward. God, let us know what it means to take upon your yoke and how that becomes rest, how that becomes joy and peace as you lift that burden with us. God, let us truly know what it means to walk in step with you. Let us know and understand, God, how we can move forward and how we can maybe dream dreams that we never thought we could dream because we don't think we're good enough, because we don't think we have the resources or the abilities. God, let us just move forward walking in step with you. God, we lift up our time today as we sing in some worship and pray a little bit, God. I pray that you would spur on us, spur us on to good works and good deeds so that others may, might come to know you. And God, that's our prayer today. We ask it. Amen.